Hello and welcome to the first episode of Brain Drunk in a long-ass time. It's been over a year, I'm not sure how long it's been specifically, but we decided now, because clearly none of us are busy enough in our adult lives, that we uh, should definitely get back into the whole podcasting thing. I am joined here today, I mean, uh, John, you uh, hopefully all remember me, and I'm joined by my co-host Adam and our uh, other friend Brant, who has decided to come along and help us with the whole like uh, editing producing thing as well as taking part of the show it has been a while so if you guys just want to like quick give little uh introductions or uh life updates go ahead and go for it all right so uh this is adam the drunk member of the podcast by the way i'm drunk right now so don't even worry about it we got you so when we last talked to you i was struggling through college miraculously and through the stupidity of the powers that be at my college. I somehow graduated, and I'm now working a full-time job setting up actually tailgates for the football season for different universities. So with this being, as we're recording, this is in the off-season. I have some free time, so we figured we'd start the podcast back up. I'm very excited, and I'm ready to expand my mind and learn some shit because I've become, believe it or not, even more dumber as time has gone on, so can't wait to expand my mind with whatever bullshit John has to tell me. I'm Brant. I guess I'm this podcast editor, and I'm kind of just you know here here to provide some you know peanut gallery commentary. My life's been pretty good. I recently got a job being a uh, publisher for uh, <clears throat> one of the channels in the Young Turks Network. So I'm just chilling. You didn't tell me that. You're working for the Young Turks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally just got this job, like, this week. What? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's, a, that's a kind of a big deal that you... <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. That's insane. Yeah, All fucking... Right, so, it's a pretty cool so, job, I'm not gonna lie. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. Oh, thank you. I guess to give uh, my quick update before we uh, get started with whatever we'll be chatting about... I just started well, i guess not just started i'm uh like three semesters into a uh, phd program in biomedical sciences so i've been uh trying to keep up with classwork uh all the reading and stuff i have to do while also having to uh work on my own research projects in the lab so that's been fun as well as still trying to uh, make time to keep myself sane by doing not work or science related things so I guess the podcast is a fun way to kind of like unwind while still getting some of the reading and uh, research stuff that I'd otherwise need to do done. So uh, kind of killing two birds with one stone on that front, I guess. We were going to uh, have an episode out sooner, but there have been several issues with that. I was, uh, was going to say, we have, to, we have to talk about the past three times we've tried to record or however many it's been. <laughs> well, the first time uh, was just the test run episode as we called it because it wasn't very good because we hadn't recorded anything in a while the second time we uh, were ready to record like moments away from hitting record and starting and then i spilled a drink on my laptop and it totally died and there was no recovering from that so i had to go buy a new one because i'm an idiot so that was fun so now hopefully Everything will go all right. It'll be a decent episode, and we can get started doing uh, podcasting again, like once every two weeks, or you know, something like that. Also, I learned that uh, computers don't really like it when you spill things on them. That's uh, not a smart thing to do. I would say computers don't like it when you spill tequila on them, but you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, lessons learned. 
Listen, is this the world's way of saying it's time to get a better computer? No, that thing was like eight years old, and I'm not sure how it was still alive anyway, so it was probably oh, just... Oh, it was Yeah, it was just due. that. It was due. I mean, like, the screen was, like, sort of dead. There were black lines running down the center of it, so I only had 80% of the screen that I could actually, like, use. They had an hour, an hour of battery life if okay. it wasn't plugged in. It was, you, uh, you it was great. Say, you didn't say any of this before, so clearly your laptop was fucked to begin with, so the spilling on, <laughs> spilling on the laptop didn't have an impact. It was just, it was on life support, basically, and somebody finally pulled the plug. Yeah, I guess I was pulling the plug on it just dropping tequila on yeah i don't know how you fucking lasted with it that long pop but like my pc parts started getting to like two years old and i'm like ah it's getting a little derelict i don't know just uh being cheap i guess i'm on that graduate student stipend so i try to uh keep things alive as long as i can so i don't have to spend money on them uh fair enough see i'm cheap about everything that i that like my pc i can't i get on there things start lagging a little bit and i'm like ah this hurts my soul <laughs> this needs to change yeah same way that game, it's a mild inconvenience. Yeah, because listen, if it's a mild inconvenience once, it's going to be a mild inconvenience dozens of times a day. Multiply exactly. that over weeks and weeks. Yes. Then, like, we're talking like it's eating up hours and hours of inconvenience. That, that ceases to be mild at that point. It's only a matter of time before you throw it against the wall and break it anyway, so you might as well just get a new one. <laughs> exactly. Believe it or not, I don't think most people end up throwing shit at the wall. Well, that's news to me. I was gonna say uh, uh, you got to make up your mind. Is this a podcast where a dumb drunk person learns shit, or is this anger management classes? Like, what are we talking about? Maybe. Uh, you know, it can be it can be a little bit of both. You know, why not? It'll be a little bit of a self-help podcast in there for no apparent reason. Speaking of which, what we what we what are we learning about today? I want to learn something. What are we learning about? I had a friend of mine asking about the research that I actually do and got. Onto the topic that I use a lot of mice for the research, and she thought it'd be a good idea if there was an episode where we just talked about the history of lab mice and lab rats. Instead of being broad about, like, animal models in general, what is the story behind them and how they became to be, like, so prevalent, really? Because, You're like... talking about mice! Yeah, because apparently about 50% of the Western world is okay with animal research, and the other half thinks it's a horrible thing that we shouldn't do, though it's a pretty important thing that we have to do. I mean, almost all research uses animal research. You wouldn't have vaccines, medicine, or probably even a fraction of our understanding of basic science without animal models, and it is sort of a necessary evil. Uh, I don't like doing it. I just, it's something that I have to do as a scientist and as a biologist. A good idea to focus in on mice and rats because about 95% of all animals that are used in research are mice or are rodents, but 75% of those are going to be mice. So I thought we'd get into that a little bit and then uh, maybe just have a discussion about what we personally think about uh, the ethics towards the end of this of actually using animal models. I'm down. Immediately I'm thinking of, I just watched most recent Jim Jeffries Netflix special a little bit ago. And he has a joke about about the idea of testing on mice, basically saying that anybody who thinks that, again, this isn't my opinion, but this is what Jim Jeffries' joke is based on, but where he says anybody who doesn't believe we shouldn't be testing on animals is a fucking idiot. Like, you initially, you initially start with a base, and then the mice just dissolves. And then <laughs> you're like, okay, so that didn't work. And then you try again, and then it just loses an ear. And it's like, okay, it's better, but still not good enough. And then therefore and therefore, and then you eventually go to humans. Yeah, I mean, eventually you work your way up. Uh, and it's 
there's sort of an issue with that that we can get into a little bit because like obviously all animal models are going to be wrong. Just some of them are going to be useful because a mouse is not a human or a ferret or a pig is not a human. Obviously, whatever you're doing, there are going to be differences between the two systems. A lot of immunology research uses mice, but there are a lot of differences between the mouse's immune system and the human immune system. Right, There's... and who's to, who's to say that the mouse that you're you're using is the ideal immune system compared to another mouse you might use who maybe has, like, a different aspects of the immune system, right? Right, I mean, um, well, today, with how we use animals, a lot of them have different strains of mice that'll have different desirable traits or you can just ma manipulate their uh, genes to have them have more desirable traits so you can like more easily uh, study specific facets of whatever system it is you're interested in. It doesn't need to be the immune system. It could be like if you're interested in like their visual system and seeing if you can have them after you have retinal damage, if you can have restoration of their vision through different treatments or if you want to do like metabolic studies or things like that. There are a lot of different ways you can select for or develop either rats or mice that you would be pretty good matches for what you're trying to do. And a lot of the work in terms of the history for using mice in uh, rats originally came solely for the intent of raising mice that all have genetically identical backgrounds. A lot of them were uh, continually inbred repeatedly until there'd be no variability amongst them just so you could control for those genetics and it'd be easier to say what you're doing is a result of this because you bred out any variation that would be there. It's really kind of interesting. Uh, rats and mice, both, since they are different, can be repeatedly inbred with very little mutations being introduced and very little negative effects for that, which I didn't know until starting to read about this. But again, you're saying you're saying very little as opposed to no no impact in terms of that aspect. Meaning that yeah. there's probably still some some impact when you're inbreeding mice. You can go up to about 20 or so generations of uh, inbreeding for rats before you'll start to see any sort of mutations actually develop. So that's okay. Okay, quite a lot. 20 that's, generations that's is a impressive. long time. That's pretty impressive. But to get into the history, before moving into mice in like the 1980s, it was the lab rat that was primarily used. When we think of lab rats, specifically it's Rattus norvegicus, which is a Norwegian brown rat. And apparently the origin for how we started breeding them selectively to get them to the point where they were used for experiments starts in around Europe when uh, London and other areas of Europe as they were developing in the 1700s were just being overrun with rats to the point where being a rat catcher was something that was actually a career path you could do. And from that, you would normally just capture these rats and there would be, I can't remember what the actual like game was called, but people would take all of these rats these rat catchers were catching and they'd throw them in a pit and they would have a dog in that pit and they would place bets on either how many rats the dog could kill within a certain amount of time or how long it would take the dog to kill all of the rats in it. The breeding aspect that came from that interesting little blood sport was that they would capture and keep alive any rats that had fur patterns or coat patterns or different colorations because there was also a point when rats were very popular pets around the time that they were overrunning London and other cities, which is interesting. So you would keep breeding those rats until you would have what would be called fancy rats or uh, fancy mice as well. You kept that going forward until that trend eventually made it to the Americas where 
people uh, started doing similar things around 1877 as to what Mendel was doing, the pea plant, to see if that transferred over into like mammals. So we learned how inheritance in terms of coat color and patterns was following similar guidelines to pea plants in the color of their flowers or the shape of the buds and the petals. Moving forward with that, it came to, we were getting into a little bit, attention of some of the scientists that were using these animals around like in the nine, or 1890s or so in Philadelphia in the Worcester Institute that we needed to breed these mice so we could be sure of their genetic background and get rid of variability there. So that led to the Worcester rat, which is still pretty commonly used today, that came from the Worcester Institute of Philadelphia that did a lot of that breeding to help better control rats for use in science. They're actually the first animal species to have ever been bred specifically for scientific purposes, which I didn't actually know that because animals had been used basically from Aristotle's time forward for uh, like comparative medicine purposes. It's interesting. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of interesting that there's still a debate about the ethics of using animals in general, but also when you're talking about that, rats and mice for testing but then it's like it's been done for so long and it has such a long history and it's kind of gotten us to where the point we are now in terms of all of our medicine and where we're at in terms of science and medicine standpoint yeah this has literally been going on for hundreds of years so i got a question for you pop i don't know if you uh know or not so we're we're talking about like uh, the history of it i'm guessing initially and up until probably relatively recently there wasn't much qualm with you know breeding them and using them for any research at what point in history did it start popping up like, hey, there being opposition to it, I should say? Um, well, PETA not... was founded in the year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure when opposition to that would have actually cropped up. If I would have, if I would have to take a guess, it'd probably be animal rights happening around the 60s and 70s when people were starting to protest any sort of experimentation they thought could be like cruel or unjust i was gonna say the the 60s and 70s were kind of the age of protesting everything in terms of what was happening in the world around us so that Mm -hmm. that would that would probably be a safe bet in terms of or a safe assumption in terms of when thoughts of that would start happening because that was obviously the movement of like the just a giant peace movement kind of protesting everything about how the world was working around us Mm -hmm. Yeah, that led to uh, eventually having the Animal Welfare Act passed in the U.S., which has like strict guidelines for how you're supposed to handle and care for different animals that you'd use for experimental purposes, as well as having the establishment of different animal ethics committees at universities. I, we can't just order mice and do whatever we want with them. We have to have our experimental protocol written up and justify the amount of animals that we're ordering for this. We have to send those protocols off to the institutional animal care and use committee and they which consists of expert scientists as well as some people who aren't researchers that are involved with animal ethics as well as some veterinarians as well to oversee and approve everything that you want to do with those animals and they will go through and read it to see if there's anything you can like one repurpose or you know if you can use any sort of other method that wouldn't necessitate the use for animals to do that instead or if there's a way you can reduce the amount of animals that you're using in whatever protocol you've designed, or if you can just refine what you have planned by like any means that also will alleviate any stress or discomfort or pain the animals might experience. So that's a lot of what came out of animal rights movements from there. Those are all things we have to go through today. You're not allowed to do animal work at any institution unless you have 
training so you know how to recognize when an animal is sick or if there's something wrong with it, if it's stressed or if it's been fighting with its litter mates or anything like that. You need to be familiar with their behavior to some extent. You need to know how to be able to euthanize them. Every protocol will have a point where these animals need to be sacrificed, which is the term we use when we say we're going to kill them. In science, we say sacrifice because uh, it looks like they're not doing too well and it would be cruel to allow it to continue to live. So you would just have to... uh, Occasionally, when you're working with animals, you have to check on them daily to make sure they're all right. We have animal care techs as well that make sure they have a constant supply of food and that their bedding and cages for when you're doing mice, uh, mouse work are taken care of. It's interesting because when you say that, it's kind of like, yeah, no, duh. There's practices in place and you have all those systems in place to make sure that you're taking taking care of everything on that end where you're not you know, torturing animals. Mm-hmm. It, may, it definitely makes sense why all those systems are in place, but it's definitely something that person like me or somebody who's not involved in that world wouldn't yeah. think of you can't just test on an animal and just be like here you go let's see what happens it's like you have all of the systems in place to kind of you have all of these uh different processes you have to go yeah, through before you're even allowed to start doing animal research yeah which is the case for any profession yeah like you have checks and balances so it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting to hear that they've already thought of of all this stuff and it's it's working at that level yeah just to even be allowed in the uh animal facilities you need to have training with university uh animal resources group before they'll give you card access to be able to get into that area and i don't think the universities actually list anywhere where the animal facilities are in the buildings because of animal rights groups which is pretty interesting when the animal rights movements were just taking off people would attempt to break into labs to like quote unquote liberate or free animals that were being used for those purposes (laughs) try to to free them yeah yeah it's like we're not gonna obviously if you are a researcher you know where those facilities are what floors they're on or like how to get to them we're not going to list where they are if we don't need to the addresses are there for like ordering and shipping and receiving purposes and everything but we're not going to like advertise in a building directory flat out say right here this is where you go yeah if it was extremely public information people would definitely take advantage of that like be free hundreds of rats just fucking running across campus Someone just decided to free all of them. But yeah, I've been trying to, uh, I've been talking a lot more about rats because it was in the 1980s that mice became more popular. The mice or mouse that is most commonly used is Moose Musculus, which is a fun little name. And they were kind of wrought up similarly, except the story behind how mice became bred selectively similar to how rats were is all because of abby lanthrop who was a school teacher who was also a mouse breeder at the time because she was a breeder of fancy mice around that time there were mouse clubs where you would show off kind of similarly with rats mice that had interesting or unique coat colors or like patterns on their fur there was also something that the upper classes or rich people liked which was a uh, waltzing mice which were basically mice that were just bred to have like an inner ear defect so they waltz or spin around in a circle when they move which is actually kind of cruel to breed them just to have them as a cute little or interesting little pet to look at but Addie Lanthrop helped bring mice into the fold and a lot of the mice today can be traced back to through their lineages to the mice that she ended up breeding and that was around the uh, late 1800s as well same with rats all of these breeding practices to the work 
her as well as some scientists that were adopting them and getting into mouse genetics like there's a guy named William Castle who was with mice repeating the whole coat color inheritance thing getting more into how uh genes are actually passed on similar to again like the Gregor Mendel like basic pea plant genetics thing Again, just to reiterate, that basically led to having all these inbred strains of mice that are around in research today. I think the most common strain that, or at least the ones that I end up using, would be uh, C57B6 mice, which are just mice with black coats. They're also non-obese diabetic mice that are used, obviously, for like diabetic studies, but there are hundreds of different strains with specific genetics for specific things to be used for whatever part of biology you would want to use or want to look into. Did you say they're non-diabetic mice? Non-obese diabetic mice that were bred for, uh, you know, diabetes purposes or like metabolic purposes, metabolic research purposes. So so that's just to study shit for me? Yeah, for people like you, you know, have pancreas issues. Yeah, non-obese type 1 diabetics. Gang, 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 gang. I think the most interesting thing I've learned today so far is that you work with a lot of a lot of incest in your in your line of work. They're all inbred for purposes of reducing variability in their genetics so we can control for that. So, yeah. So you're basically saying that you love incest. So now moving on from no, that, that is, so uh, what we're going to talk about is... not quite what I'm saying. The pretty, uh, pretty big... Uh... No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, one of the things we were kind of getting into is the idea that animals aren't one-to-one. There are a lot of examples of things that work pretty well in, like, mice or, you know, whatever you're testing things in. But when you actually bring them into clinical trials to try them on humans, horrible things happen. Back in the 60s, you had the drug thalidomide, which was used for the treatment of morning sickness for pregnant women. There were no side effects at all, really, in the rats that the drug was tested in. But when you used it in humans, it caused horrible birth defects or babies being born with serious issues as a result of mothers taking this drug that we just didn't know of because it seemed like it was fine in mice. So I guess that is, like I said, one of the big issues with animal research. When you pick a model that you're using for your purposes, you're trying to find something that's as close to human as you can possibly get to without actually, you know, using people. Rats and mice aren't human. So yeah. sometimes things change when you go from rats and mice to human. They are very similar, though. Mice are, like, genetically speaking, 85% similar to our DNA, and rats are about 90%. When you think about it, most animals are genetically fairly similar. Right, but as you, as you just said, like, sometimes when you make that transition to human, it doesn't necessarily mean... It doesn't sm- quite work out. A, a smooth transition where it's like it works out for every human across the board. Yeah, there's no perfect animal model that you can use, especially because disease is a pretty complicated thing. Anyway, you try to, like, cut it out. I heard someone once say that we've probably cured cancer in mice thousands of times over, but just because cancer is a super complicated disease, you and Brant could have the same type of pancreatic cancer, the exact same type, but there would still be differences between the genetics that are causing your tumor development in you, Adam, versus what's going on with Brant. You're also two different people, so you would have different responses to different treatment options that would be going on. Well, shit, I mean, tumors in and of itself are very random. Even with us having different pancreases or different kidneys or different body parts like that, yeah, tumors in and of itself 
can be very different. Yeah, I can definitely understand why that is not going to be the same across the board for every person. It sounds pretty obvious uh, when you just state it plainly like that, but I do think it's kind of easy to forget every once in a while that it's not a perfect sort of thing. Right. Well, the, basically the goal of what you are trying to do and what largely the world is trying to do is trying to make connections and trying to simplify everything and make a better world for us by trying to, you know, for lack of other lack of a better word make everyone healthier but that in and of itself is difficult when not only every person is different but every every pancreas is different every kidney is different Mm -hmm. every lung is different every and then that's just in terms of inside the human body and then going back to what you were talking about in terms of testing first with animals and then with humans how does the mice or rat stomach compared to the the human stomach you know there's a mm-hmm. lot of processes involved so it's definitely easy to understand why going back to the subject you were talking about which is like trying to find answer to cancer it takes time and it's difficult and it hasn't happened yeah something that i realized the other day is that the mass or the vast majority of what we know despite the fact that the rate of science progress being made has dramatically increased from earlier times and with each successive decade gets faster and faster. The bulk of everything that we currently have and know all came from like the past 50 years of science research, which relatively speaking is very recent. A lot of things that are like commonplace now that are in like every high school textbook, it's like, oh, they didn't actually know that until 1989. That that when my mom was growing up, they didn't know that that was a th- thing interesting a hundred percent talk about a person like me i have i have type 1 diabetes and celiac disease 50 years ago i would have been dead at 17 because they would just been like i don't know you got a stomach ache here take this see if it works and before we even knew how to like make insulin they would normally just take bovine insulin which you know it's cow insulin you would just take it from them you would that's how you would get your insulin you would just literally just come straight from an animal because we had no idea how to produce it ourselves and allow instead instead of pulling like instead of pulling a syringe from a vial of insulin i would just been pulling a syringe from a cow and just fucking injecting it like oh not quite how that would go but i hope i feel better in a few hours fucking just stop on down by the farm not quite how that worked, but that's how they had to get it before we actually knew how to synthesize it in a lab. It what was. Are you, uh, what are you yawning for? What the fuck are you yawning for? Dude, I don't know. I'm just really tired right now. Maybe I should have chugged a coffee before we started. Maybe you should have. But I was about made, to say. Maybe you should have uh, made a tequila monster and not maybe I should have and not spilled it on my laptop this time I was trying to find a reason for why we started using rats in research around the time we did in the 1700s or like uh, why we started using mice and there are a lot of things to consider for uh, why you choose different animals for different research purposes the biggest ones being finances the other one being generation time and like development time Uh, rats and mice both grow pretty quickly. Rats live a little bit longer, but they're adults within uh, about three weeks or so of being born. So, and you can use them shortly after. I We can't actually, and I don't know if there's a specific purpose for why we started using rats in research as widely as we did. 
I don't know if anyone knows that. It could just be that I couldn't find an answer in what I was digging around for. It just sort of, like, happened, which is interesting. Well, well with my super brain, I'd say rats are bigger, so they're better. But uh, mice are a lot easier to genetically manipulate, which is why we use them all the time now. And they're a lot smaller. I almost feel like rats would, I mean, again, no science behind this, but I feel like rats would be better because they're more, again, they're bigger and they're more adapted to, if you had to take a guess as to whether a random rat or a random mice would be in worse conditions or situations. It's not that there's necessarily, for different aspects, it's better to use rats because mice would be a worse dis- or a worse choice. Rats for behavioral studies are very commonly used. You can actually have rats experience anxiety and depression. So they use that for uh, anxiety and depression research, obviously. For neurological studies, rats are typically something you would go for. They're pretty commonly used there compared to mice, though mice sometimes still are because, again, they're easier to, like, fuck with genetically for whatever purpose you need to. So, I mean, those are so there's, pretty so there, big consideration case, for that. There's a case for, I guess, animal both. model selection. Yeah. All right. There's a case to be made for using mice or rats. It just really depends on what you're doing. Though, because uh, rats are bigger, they need bigger space, bigger cages. You cannot house as many rats together as you would mice. Oh, shit. Then then it becomes a money issue. Yeah, finances are a big part of what animals you're using. (laughs) Money, money, money. One of the reasons people don't use primates or monkeys all that commonly for research, unless they absolutely need to, one is because they're way too similar to humans. It creeps a lot of people out or freaks people out. I know a lot of people that said they could never work with primates. I don't think I could. Another big issue with that is just money and how expensive it is to properly take care of them when you're using them as like research subjects. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that adding up real quick. Yeah, there are daily charges you have to think about in terms of just general animal care, even if you're working with just mice. Finances and housing space and, you know, how close they are in regards to, like, whatever system it is you're interested or, like, aspect of biology you're interested in researching, how similar they are to humans in that regard. Those are all important things that you kind of think about when you're trying to decide uh, what animal you're going to be using for your studies. That's interesting that you said that because that was one of my thoughts earlier on was how expensive is it? If we're looking for the closest approximation to humans, why wouldn't you just always go for fucking monkeys, chimpanzees, apes? But then, you know, again, we're talking about money and then fucking cost more to train, house, test on them, everything. Yeah, you can't just throw them in a box when you're not using them and just hope for the best. You uh, actually need to take care of them. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of the overview of the uh, history of all of that for the most part. I guess now we could just chat a little bit about the ethics of it because, you know, I do think it is in and of itself inherently wrong to use animals in research as someone that does use animals in research. But I had a professor tell me, that yeah, it's wrong to do so, but it's worse to have the ability to end or reduce or mitigate suffering in any capacity and choose to not do so anyway. So like if we have the means to do science to potentially lead to better treatment options or even curing disease, and we're just choosing not to do so just because 
we uh, have a little bit of opposition to using animals, either personally or just overall, it's kind of worse and maybe even kind of evil to choose to just do nothing when you could. Yeah, I honestly agree. I would agree, too. I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting conversation, but once you start talking about it, it clearly ends up in one way where whatever you're putting the animal through, is it wrong? Yes. But if you imagine the pain that that animal is going through, imagine the pain that potentially millions of humans go through without progressing research further. Well, and you wouldn't even have. You get what you uh, know what I mean. A lot of like, yeah, I get I get what you're saying, but you wouldn't even have like a lot of treatment for uh, animal care either if you didn't do animal research as well. I mean, the majority yeah, of things I, that you it, do with veterinary even, medicine, right? It wouldn't even wouldn't be exist. just. It wouldn't even be just humans. I mean, I freaking every time I go home to my parents' house, I have to give whenever I feed my dog, I have to give her two pills every time she eats. So that wouldn't have even happened if. This type of research wasn't happening. If we were just, what we're doing is wrong, then it's like my dog would have been dead by now. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting area to get into because there aren't a whole lot of alternatives that we actually have to substitute animal research when you think about it. I mean, we have different cellular models we can use, but cells are cells and they act differently uh, in culture than cells actually do when they're in a living system because there's a lot more going on in a living system than when you just have cells in a flask. So we have means to isolate out and study things in a vacuum, so to speak, but that's not the accurate way of how things would actually be occurring naturally. It's hard to predict how a drug will behave in a live system as compared to what that drug's going to be doing to like liver cells that you're culturing in an incubator. Yeah. It was just one of those necessary evils. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page. Speaking of liver cells, how's your liver doing right now? You drinking anything right now, John? Uh, I had a little bit of smooth ambler contradiction whiskey, but I only had enough for one glass. So I am officially out of alcohol in my apartment right now. Oh God, that's a shame. I, that that honestly depresses me more than anything we've talked about so far tonight. So <laughs> that's the most thing. depressing thing we've talked about. Yeah, hey, you need some. More booze. Well, we've talked about plenty of science stuff tonight. I think we need to talk about some stuff outside of science to kind of broaden the subject matter. So, oh yeah, think. definitely. What's a, what's uh, a good... I locked myself out of my car last night at the bar. That was fun. I was gonna say, yeah, you. Ended yeah, up... I had a friend that uh let me stay at her place because I had to wait until I could call uh lockout assistance. Let me just say how quickly this dude got into my car when he showed up this morning was mind-blowing in less than a minute he had like Did the door open no it was covered by my insurance but he literally had this tool okay, that was cool. like a little air little like a airbag that he slid mm. into the door to pop the door open just enough so he could take like a rod to stake it in there and pull up on the uh, lock to unlock the door like jesus dude that took you like less than a minute to break into my car <laughs> thank you but luckily he only uses his holy power for shit good, Papa. yeah luckily he only uses his powers for good and not for car theft i mean that's as far I mean, as you know as far as i know i mean he seems like a nice guy but he could be stealing cars on the side i guess i don't know i didn't even ask his name i guess i'm an asshole <laughs> but he did me a solid service today because uh my car would be still sitting on that street if it wasn't for him well, I'm happy to know that you're back at home. I'm happy to 
Happy to know you have a good laptop. Happy to know you're doing well. Also, I think my it's time. Landlord, oh, go for it. Uh, I was gonna say my landlord said if I would have had to have maintenance let me in, it's a fifty dollar fee for maintenance to you know grab another set of keys to unlock my door so I could have gotten into my apartment. What like really? Fuck? That is fifty dollars to open my horseshit. door. It's horseshit. It's like I, I, I just don't I, believe what. I got I got a guy at my old college who will fucking come to your place in like fucking three hours. Come with his fucking little set of fucking uh, lockpicks, and he'll he'll unlock your door for you for free. Just give him just give him a fucking six pack, and you're good. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, uh, thanks for giving me that info, but I don't think I'll be needing that service. Fifty dollars to open a door? Fucking bullshit. So that was uh, the most exciting thing that I had going on. Had to uh, take care of that. Yeah, I mean, I've been working heavy this week. I had to build a fucking wooden box to put all our equipment in. So I've just been doing. I've been a fucking carpenter. I've been a lum lumber worker for the whole week. I worked in a lumber mill once. That shit sucked. Oh, yeah. It's fucking awful. None of us knew how to do it. So that was the best part was we had to spend so much time figuring out how to do everything. But I think what's more interesting than that and the easier thing to get uh, a lot of voices in on. Let's go to pop culture. Fucking Kanye West. Let's go. So there's a lot of stuff happening this week with Kanye West. Oh, yeah. I think the fact that he's referring to Pete Davidson as Skeet Davidson is amazing. I think that's hilarious. I don't understand. I don't understand why he's like. What What's the meaning behind that? What's he doing? About the whole like I don't know. Uh, it's his ex wife. He still wants his ex wife. So that's he's, like the meaning behind the whole thing. So, he's so, just so, but like, what's the meaning behind Pete Davidson over that? Right, but what's the meaning behind the name Skeet? I don't know. It gets the people excited. People talking about yeah. it. I mean, it's working. Yeah, it's working. That's all he wanted to do. I, I'm the one who brought this shit up, so clearly it's working. But so here's what I will say. I Kanye West is bipolar as fuck. If there was any need to clarify that, it's clearly true. So it's like I a lot of the stuff that's happening, it kind of makes sense. What I will say is more recently, as we're recording this, his his newest album hasn't come out yet and he's recently announced that his newest album will not go on streaming and it'll only go on his like, oh his like new his own platform it's like 200 right bucks to get his, the player. his his quote-unquote stem player which i think a lot of people are missing the mark on which is like to get the stem player it's like it's now like a stock x item which means you pay hundreds of dollars people aren't realizing the big picture he is I think Kanye is very aware that people are going to get that stem player and then spread that. Like people are going to legally download his newest album and he seems to, it seems to not matter to him, which I think is honestly a pretty positive thing for how much negative he's caused in the past. Like I've been shit talking Kanye for the past two months. And honestly, from that angle, I think it's a pretty amazing thing he's doing because he's basically taking all the control that Spotify and Apple Music has and basically saying, fuck you, I'll let everyone illegally download my album and I don't care if I make zero money on it. I think it's a pretty oh, amazing thing. okay. I guess do I didn't you know, make that you, connection. Do you know I think what I'm it, saying? Yeah. I didn't think about it from that perspective before. 
I mean, there's an added context that goes to it where it's like, obviously, fucking label label executives are involved, and eventually, his newest album is gonna get put on streaming. It's it's just going to because executives are gonna be like, no, fuck you, we're gonna put it on streaming. If you want to try and sue us, go ahead. But like, as of right now, his stance is, I don't care if I make zero dollars on this next album I release. I just want it to not be on streaming and I would rather people either buy the stem player if they really care about me or illegally download it, which most people are going to legally download it. I don't know. And I guess that, I'm a little me, more cynical about it. Cause like with the stem player is 200 some bucks and it's basically, you know, that speaker with, you know, a halfway decent interface and whatever, you know, software for the player and stuff is, he at two hundred dollars, he's likely running a hundred plus dollars profit on each one. He said, as of now, he has twenty seven thousand of them, and they're making three thousand a day. If at that hundred dollar, you know, profit per one at twenty seven thousand, that's two point seven million right there. That is since he's an a lot of money that he's making, making all that himself. Typically, even someone as big as him, um, you know, on a, on a major label, might be bringing in, let's say, a like. 20 to 25 percent of what the overall profits of you know streaming and all that is so he would have to at that point what be making 10 12 million dollars worth of streams to make the same amount of money he does right off of selling these and this you know fuck it, it, like if fifty thousand people decide to buy it that's five million right there to me this just seems like a way for him to easily monetize his most diehard fans on a project that's probably not going to last past on to two i mean that's certainly fair i mean it could be again it's like it's it's not like what he's doing is one way or the other like he could very well be trying to i think he sees it as a positive from both ends because again in terms of pr He's on a pretty bad PR run in the past, what, three weeks? Right now in February 2021? Like, two weeks ago, I was like, this guy's a fucking idiot. So, I think there's a lot of pros and cons to what he's doing, and I'm sure he sees this as like, plus, all my fans will be stupid enough to buy this shit. It's very possible. But I, honestly, it's like anything that puts pressure on Spotify or Apple Music to... I guess at least just recognize that they don't hold ultimate power because quite frankly, fucking obviously bo- way below Kanye artists don't make shit. Oh, so the fact no, they that need to get a the, the fuck ton of streams to be able to make even like a couple dollars. Right. So the fact that he's, he's at least presenting this as, as this type of angle, which again is bullshit. It's pretty much bullshit. Like, he doesn't care about the percentages that artists makes on Spotify. Clearly, he's fucking Kanye West. He's a fucking bajillionaire. He's good money-wise. But as long as somebody is challenging the current status quo, I think is at least a good thing. And it probably does benefit him in the long run. Because, again, I do think despite all of the dumb shit that Kanye West has done in the past few months, let alone the past, like, fucking decade i do think he is at times a very smart individual in terms of how he markets himself i do think at some level the fact that he does want to disrupt something that is at its general surface corruptly corrupt 
are like generally wrong is just at least interesting. I guess that's my whole point is, is the shit's interesting and it's I'm interested to see where clearly like it's it's not going to matter a week from now like you know Spotify's still going to be fine like you know everyone's going to be doing the same old thing but it is interesting that he's going to release an album and every everyone who's interested in that album is going to like basically 90% of the people who want to listen to that album are going to listen to it illegally which is interesting yeah absolutely um cuz cuz that hasn't happened since me basically all of us were in high school where, where an album like, came out uh, and we were all just like well we're just going to fucking download it on BitTorrent or LimeWire Lime oh yeah right i see that yeah um i don't know for the most part spotify has been like the go to for music so it is definitely a good thing to shake it up and challenge like the status quo with that yeah cuz they especially have, they have the... because they pay nothing to artists i think they pay like 0.03 of a cent for each individual like play that an artist gets so if you don't have millions of people playing your music thousands of times a day you're not making any noticeable money so that's the interesting part because again a lot of people are different in terms of how they feel about it because not everyone knows the average i think the average per artist is like 0.007 i think across the board it's 0.007 per artist but again that's the average across everyone somebody like drake who is clearly like he's in spotify's like executive offices like once a year planning and like meticulously like whatever he's making more than that 0.007 and then on the flip side some artist who is on some type of label who barely has enough traction that label is barely making enough to support themselves so that label tells that artist, hey, you need this exposure. You're making 0.000001. It's an average. So, like, the, the, it's, huh. not, it's not universal across the board. So, like... But most labels will pretty much just say, we need you to get your name out there, so you're going on Spotify basically for free. Right. And I don't even... It's not even, like, a... It's not a horrific thing for those labels to go to do because again those labels are small in the, in themselves and they have to pay so many employees so it's it's just kind of a it's a very bad systemic problem across the board so the fact that somebody is willing to say something about it even if it's for the wrong reasons and even if he sees a profit at some level on the end of it it's like it's kind of interesting to see what happens with it. Here's the only thing though is so definitely I wish that artist, you know, got paid more for the streams and whatnot. But how exactly are these streaming like I always thought of this like streaming services are kind of a very very thin profit margin type of deal. Like let's say what Spotify's monthly uh payments like 15ish dollars or something. Let's let's go 15 for easy math. So let's say in yeah. a month you listen to three, like three-ish songs a day. Uh, let's go like five songs a day, and you listen to 150 um, per, you know, you know, per that month. So you have 10 cents per one of your streams to give to that artist per song, minus you know the cost that Spotify had, uh, and to pay their employees and whatnot. But what if it's someone like me who I probably listen to six to eight hours worth of music a day every single day. We're getting down to the point where, 
okay, even let's say Spotify pays out about a dollar for every hundred, uh, for every two hundred fifty streams. Well, so that's like what, like a quarter, like give or take a quarter of a cent. Well, if I'm listening to that much music, I might only be giving them a half a cent per stream or something. And at some point, yeah, they could give every part of that to the artist, but then they themselves have no incentive to run the business. But and they cannot go beyond what each person like is, you know, the listens and the subscription they pay in without literally taking out like loans and stuff to pay that. I mean, it definitely I, I get what you're saying, but it's it's also it's also important to remember that the people the people who are running Spotify or the people who are running I guess Apple are not like they're not startup like owners. Like they're not to mention they're getting I think ad revenue is a huge part of it because so many of Spotify's users aren't on a premium plan. They're on like an ad program. Right. So most of the revenue would be coming from the ads then. Right. So revenue is it's not like it's it's not like the what the guy who's in charge of Spotify is doing this out of the kindness of his heart. He's making money. And he had money before 2019. Yeah, but, but him making money off the salary and stuff he gets is very different from, like, how much overall profit and stuff the company is making. Like... Right, and I... I so I definitely understand... Well, like, Spotify could literally be losing money and his salary is still going to get paid and whatnot, you know? Right. And I definitely understand the incentive of people running businesses to want to turn a profit and continue to grow the business. I, I'm not discounting that. But it's also like, at a certain point, it's like we had a system in place where artists with physical releases in the early 2000s would be more beneficial. And if they kind of caught a sound that people liked in the core of America... They were making more money than if somebody had a wave right now, I, not necessarily in the, in, in the mainstream, not necessarily, not necessarily in the mainstream, but like they, if they had a niche market and they're not doing as financially well as they were 20 years ago. And it makes it seem almost unfair with how accessible music is now how inflation has worked where it's like again it's like it's not it's not a simple thing where it's like this is bad this is good but it's also like the system is just kind of weird in that way where it's like how can we make it to where artists don't benefit as well as they were 30 years ago when they get more expo exposure here's the thing i guess to me is I guess there was some benefit to if, you know, we're more like Indian when I, you know, 20 ish years ago and you're doing it all yourself. Yeah, you can maybe keep a little more money, but I feel like it's definitely easier these days to like monetize and uh, like your art as a smaller artist than it was back then. Because I mean, OK, let's say like, you know, for your example. Right. And so that's that so that's that's the pro. I actually had this conversation literally yesterday with somebody. It's like. The whole the whole thing is it's pros and cons because it's like opinion, you have to you have to think about it as like you as an artist today can say how fucked up Spotify is you can make a band camp and people understand the value in buying merch or buying tickets and that's like a pro that somebody 
20 years ago didn't have because nobody nobody would know who you were and it so you can make more money that way so there's definitely pros and cons sure i don't know plus the thing to me is like you know if you're like even going 20 years ago like before internet and stuff was prevalent like you pretty much had to be in a big enough city like that could at least like to maintain yourself until like start off your career because it's like very hard to have your name spread beyond that without you know like paid pub like pub publicity and whatnot and there wasn't really a way to organically get discovered otherwise we're like right now even if you're like living in say i think like back at that point the only way to like get exposure aside from living in a city and doing uh, random performances and like paying for some form of publicity was just like you know, you would have to just hope that someone knows that there's a new artist coming through this record store and someone's going to pick it up or the guy that's working that day just decides to listen to, like, someone new. Oh, we don't know who this guy is. Let's give him a shot. And like, oh, I'm going to recommend you to the next, right. you know, whoever walks in. It's kind of it's kind of one of those things where it's like the whole music industry has been fucked up from the beginning. Oh, yeah. And it's never it's never been fair to the artists. So... Well, here's the one. The thing we're about we're is, in a we're in a current point now where I would I would say modern day now it is more beneficial to the artist than ever before in history. But then but it's, it's still like, pretty exploitative. Exactly. Yeah, I guess, I guess so it's the, like the how do we day, make it? How do we make it as ideal as possible to the artist? You can't. Because here's the problem. At the end of the day, there is far more people who want to make their living in their career off of that art, then there is monetizable opportunities. And whenever there is more availability of workers than there is work, then that gets leveraged against the workers to drive their prices and their standards of, of work as far down as possible. Until there is more need for concerts and music and whatnot than there are artists, it's not going to change. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I guess, Again, like, like that's just a little cynical, but that's just kind of how I feel about any creative pursuit where there's more people who want to do it than there is need for it. Right. Well, there needs to be a, there needs to be a little bit of of kind of pushback in terms of any creative pursuit because then anybody like me who's fucking not good at really anything creative would just be like, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and you know, there needs to be a little bit of of kind of separation. It's just, I like anything that disrupts the idea of, I mean, let's face it, regardless of, there needs to be structures in place. There needs to be kind of things in place to make sure that, you know, a million, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to explain. Well, I guess the way I'm saying it is like, let's say, okay, like a lot of, you know, the money being made in music isn't necessarily straight up in concerts and whatnot, but will be in you know making like merchandise music. right well I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm talking more in strictly terms of what you can monetize oh, the okay. music itself licensing the music is a massive way that a lot of people make money and let's say someone really wants isn't making any money licensing licensing their music currently so, say the going rate for you know the licenses are five hundred dollars well gee to them it seems like a real good idea to you know just say hey i'll do it for 200 and all of a sudden, you know, you just keep going down to if you're making no money off of it, making any money whatsoever is a much better deal. And the only way you're going to get it to stop going from this like race to the bottom is get people to go be willing to make no money 
rather than make less money than you're worth. And unfortunately, in a society that constantly needs you to have money to just sustain a basic quality of life, well, that's hard, easier said than done for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a complicated thing. I just I think I come from the standpoint of where I have sympathy for. I guess I have I have people that I look at and I follow where it's like this motherfucker makes this much and I make this little and so I have sympathy for them but at the end of the day it's like structures are in place for a reason it's like you know and I guess I'm with you like I wish that it would be better for the artist I guess just from my it perspective fucking, it of fucking working s- in the like, right. creative like, pursuits as long as I have I just do not see that ever happening yeah which makes sense like I it, 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 it it's it fucking sucks that four people like at the top make more than like most of the people that I will listen to on Spotify. It, it just angers me. But then it's like, I think the other interesting thing is like, especially with Kanye saying, saying what he said recently in terms of not putting his album on, on streaming and a lot of people talking about how Spotify doesn't pay its artists. I will say, I think a lot of it, especially from certain artists I've followed, I think a certain disdain comes from the fact that there's a little bit of jealousy from the fact that Spotify is backing Joe Rogan so hard. And then they're from a point where it's like, I, I'm creating an art and you just made $200 million yep. from the same platform that won. So, whether you believe it's right or wrong, I think there is a little bit of of disdain from the oh, fact 100%. that it's. I can see yeah. why the artists, would, especially since they're the ones who built up the platform, they would have disdain from it. Exactly. The, pro- the problem is, is though, like from Spotify's point of view, Joe Rogan is so much infinitely more valuable to them than even like, oh. the top top streaming artists because like. You're talking about. I mean, you know, he's them. got the biggest podcast on the planet. hundred percent. So many people to the that's, platform. That's, that's not taking. Not, like you were saying earlier, you know, Spotify makes a lot of money off the ads they run and whatnot. Well, that's like any mm-hmm. content creation or like media production firm that's working online is basically working to create digital ad space, which is a combination of how what the volume of content you produce and how many people watch it. How is any artist supposed to? like compete in terms of like digital ad space with a podcast, a hour long podcast. Like you really can't. It's like, like, it's just a totally unfair comparison. I mean, if you're making like, you can make it so much, like how often can you make that hour long album? You can't put that out multiple times a week. So no, no, that's a month to year long process. I had this, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday where I was like, this and again, me even bringing that up doesn't even—it's not even taking anything away from Joe Rogan because again, this is a guy who, when he started out, like again, he was probably like the first comedic podcast, like what fucking ever. He and wasn't like literally the first, but we're talking, yeah, it was like very, very start. Right. That was around and like then, what 2010 when he started doing it, it like, like 20, before that, before that. Yeah, exactly. He started that early with it? And Holy so, shit. And by the way... second or third podcast up on, like, Apple's podcast thing. I didn't know and, that. Jesus. And by the way, at that time, when he started to get traction, and by traction, I mean, like, literally, like, this much traction. Like, not even close to where he is now. 
when it started to get a little bit popular, he was getting offers from everybody because at that point, the biggest thing similar to what he was doing was Howard Stern. And Howard Stern mm-hmm. signed exclusive to Sirius XM. So that was the model. If you got oh, they big, trying to convince him to like go into radio with it? Exactly. If you got big in that space, the idea was not even not even so much radio. People like the idea was if you got that popular, you could make a website and put a paywall behind it. People were oh. trying to tell him put it on a website, put a paywall behind it, make people pay for it, and Joe Rogan said no. I want people to listen to this for free, and I want as many people to listen to this as possible. That's how it gets popular. And now, he is the biggest, like, what, fucking media platform in the world. So, it's, again, it's like, it's it's different from, you could make the argument that, like, somebody who is making an album or making a music is doing an art form or whatever. You could make whatever mar- argument you wanted to, but it's like he did, he developed what he's doing now a very long time ago, believed in himself, worked it out, and has given hundreds of people popularity in the process. So it's definitely a complicated conversation when you talk about, like, is it, is it worth all the money? Is it worth, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to kind of think about. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll be honest. I would not, especially when I started listening to him, like back in the day, I would not have expected him to get to where he is now. I don't think anyone expected that show to blow up to the point that it did. He himself didn't think it would get that big. I was listening to those, those like, yeah. Under a hundred no episodes ever. where Joey Joey Diaz was saying fucking if anybody found those episodes where Joey Diaz was saying like completely undefendable shit to oh. the fact where he's now like fucking a few years ago people were saying he should he should uh be doing the presidential debates. Oh yeah. Oh like, that he should moderate the debate. That, I don't think like that kind of trajectory years. is insane. I don't think in a hundred years he would have ever guessed he would have had like the White House issuing statements against him or that like he'd be the most recognizable person in like right. when he's I guess, just, just talking with his face on the planet. When he's just talking with his comedy friends and then yeah, a decade later it's like we want you to host a debate between these two presidential nominees. Like that's insane. And it's such a sign of the time. To the point where it's like, yeah, it's no wonder why Spotify would want to make an exclusive deal for that. And it's no wonder why they have such a obligation to keep them on their platform to where legendary artists are like, I don't I don't want to be involved in this anymore. And they're like, OK, see ya. We're going to give him more money because he brings in more more ears, more viewers and most artists can actually like feasibly bring in again because the amount of content you can put out like per week yeah you I mean, can't release an album every week in i'm mimicking everyone when i say i love neil young and i and joe, joe rogan said he loves neil young but it's like you have to understand the business decision on that end where it's like more people are listening to joe rogan than neil young right now in 2021 yeah so i mean uh 
I can see why Spotify would choose to just say, okay, goodbye, we're not uh, removing this biggest show we have to appease one artist. <laughs> yeah. Good luck ending in that shit. That was just a big-ass fucking... <laughs> a big-ass rant on uh, Spotify, ad revenue, how it's unfair to artists, and then Joe Rogan. Sincerely, I hope you enjoyed this hodgepodge of our return to grace and i hope you listen to our next one and i love all of you and i thank you and we're gonna stop this it's a good enough goodbye for me all right see y'all